Welcome to Sojourners in the Storm Bible Study Podcast. Today we will be continuing on in the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 1. Um, I pray that you guys are enjoying this series. It, it's been very, uh, very good for me in learning different things. I think oftentimes you can get into, uh, you know, just standard reading of the Bible and start and, and going through and you see all the different stories and you know all the stuff that's happening and um, you don't really dig deep into it. And so for me, digging deep into this has been something that's been kind of a, a, a really just a blessing to me because I've been able to learn and understand and comprehend a bunch of different things. And so I want to share that with you guys. And so um, that's the, the whole point of this podcast. It's the whole point of Bible study is that, you know, we take stuff, we learn it and we share it with others. That's how the church works. And so um, with that, let's pray. Uh, Father God, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for another opportunity to share your word, Lord. Father, I pray that you would go before each and every one of us, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with truth, that you would just use us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come down on us, Lord, and just uh, uh, just fill us afresh, Lord. Father, I thank you, and I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to go from verse 9 to verse 20 today. And, uh, you know, going back to last week, we looked at the announcement from John the Baptist as he declared that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was present and that he was greater than himself. He basically made that declaration. We looked at how prophecy was fulfilled in both how John would be the forerunner and how he would make uh, a way for Jesus. We saw that the accuracy of biblical prophecy is something that we can rely on right down to geographical uh, predictions. Uh, you know, as noted, many Jewish groups would go out into the Jordan River area to that wilderness area where uh, John was teaching and baptizing because they believed and scripture noted that the Messiah would be uh, revealed in that spot. So if we look at Isaiah chapter 40, starting with verse 3, it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so what happened was, you have the prophecy there, and uh, we know that Jesus came, and he was baptized by John in the River Jordan right in that spot. So as we continue on in verse 9, let's look at that, because that's just... Uh, as his birth and as it uh, was prophesied as well as his death, his resurrection, his appearance, and, and so on were predicted perfectly. And, and so was the spot that he was to be revealed, as we just read. So Mark chapter 1 verse 9 says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting, and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is revealed in baptism and sets an example for believers. Jesus came, we read here in verse 9. Without Jesus, we have no faith to rely on, because our sins would still be on our account. Without Jesus, we have no victory and no redemption. Without Jesus, we have no uh, means to eternal life. You know, we owe all that we have to the simple fact that Jesus came, just as the scriptures predicted. Now, born in Bethlehem, 
After spending time in Egypt as a young child, Jesus spent most of his life in Nazareth. Nazareth was a very small town in Galilee. It was located about halfway between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. It was despised by many Jews and avoided. It was also a crossroads for many trade routes. And so many different cultures diverged on that area. Now another prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus living and coming from Nazareth. If we look at Matthew 20, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 23, it says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So, although there is no direct reference to Jesus living in Nazareth in the Bible, it is assumed that it's a play on words between Nazareth and Nazarene. So a Nazarene was a group of people that were wholly devoted to service to God. And if you on your own time want to read about them, you can look for them in Judges chapter 13. Um, now Jesus had come into the wilderness to be baptized. And when he arrived, Matthew's gospel tells us that John was he hesitant to baptize Jesus. We're looking at Matthew chapter 3 verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came to get, uh, from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. You see, baptism is and really was uh, seen as a ceremonial cleansing of one's sin. And Jesus, although was sinless, and needed no cleansing. And so John, we know from Luke's account, was fully aware of who Jesus was, even from before birth, when he leapt in his mother's womb, when uh, when a pregnant Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth. You know, John's, uh, we know, uh, he knew him before uh, birth, who the Messiah was, and when, uh, when he saw him, he recognized him. Now, John also knew his shortcomings. He knew he was a, a sinner, just as we are. And, you know, I, I think it was, uh, he, he definitely felt unworthy to be the one baptizing Jesus. You know, John taught a message of repentance. Well, how do you baptize somebody that has nothing to repent from? You know what I mean? And so it, it was hard for, for John to do that. But Jesus, again, he had no sin. He had no need of cleansing from sin or repentance. But his baptism actually gave us a few things to consider if we look at it. Now, the first thing we can consider is it began the mission to bring the message of salvation to all people. Now, Jesus' ministry essentially took hold at that point uh, when he was submerged in the River Jordan. You know, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and recognized by the Father. It, you know, it clarified to us that Jesus was the one. You know, if we look at verse 11 in, in, in Mark here, it says we see the word, uh, you know, we see the word beloved there. Now, it's not just a term of endearment, but its literal meaning is the only one. You know, God basically said, this is the one and this is the only one in whom I am well pleased, where salvation will come from. You know, no other, no other name in heaven or on earth can save and bring salvation besides the name of Jesus. Now, the second thing it did was Jesus showed support for John's ministry. Now, repentance is the key virtue in all believers' lives. If we are to call ourselves Christians, we are to be like Christ. If he was sinless, then we as believers must be changing course to become people of declining inclination to sin. John's message was repentance. Baptism was a symbolic act of renewing the change 
and renewal and change. You know, Jesus confirmed and backed that message when he was baptized by John. The third thing he did, he's, he identified with our humanness and sin. Now, although he was sinless, he was human as well. Now, if God was to save men, he must send a kinsman redeemer, meaning one like us. Jesus left the glory of heaven for the flesh and blood of the earth. He reached down into creation and he made himself in it to save us. Now, although he was not a sinner, he still faced temptation to sin. And so by going through with being baptized, we, as we should, he declared that his life would be one of righteousness and not sin. That his direction would be towards God and not towards the world. The fourth thing he did is he gave us an example to follow. Now, in baptism, we are recognizing that we are sinners in need of salvation. That we are in need of cleaning and that a change in direction is to take place. You know, it marks out a point in time where we, through the act of baptism, take the first steps in obedience towards the ways of God and set behind us all the past sins that we were partakers in. Now, our sins are forgiven the moment that we accept Jesus as our Savior and ask forgiveness. But baptism marks the difference between saying and doing. And although you do not need to be baptized to be saved, I think it's important that we do it as a means of showing our dedication and our willingness to obey God. Now, I believe also that it should shed some light on us for uh, on the, the debate over infant or adult baptism. You know, Jesus chose baptism. He was around 30 years old when he made that decision. And even though John sort of tried to deny it, his need for it, you know, he still insisted on being baptized. Now, it goes back to uh, all of us making our own personal decision to follow God. It's not a choice that can made for, uh, be made for us. Now, I know that when I was a baby, and my brothers as well, we were baptized in the Catholic Church. You know, its meaning was the same as a baby dedication in a Protestant church. Essentially, it declares that the parents will raise the child according to the faith that they possess. Uh, later, when that child reaches the age of accountability, they go through a confirmation class in, in, in Catholicism. You know, I, I went through those things in high school. Um, also at that time, uh, you know, uh, godparents are chosen for those kids, all right? So, you know, if, if something happens to the parents, well, then those other people are assuming the responsibility for that child's life to raise them up in the ways of the Lord. Now, I think what's lost in the fact that in the Catholic Church, baptism and confirmation are considered sacraments or steps in order to reach heaven. They are not found anywhere in Scripture and should be considered works. Now, baptism at an older age is symbolic and confirms a person's realization that they are a sinner, that they have sinned, are and are determined to repent from that sin. Now, it's not a choice that can be made for you. That being said, a person can still choose, no matter Catholic or Protestant, to devote their lives to Jesus. Now, I believe that there are many people on both uh, sides that are saved and unsaved. And each church, and we'll be seeing who's who in heaven in due time. Looking back at verse 10, it says, And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting, and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, in Jesus' baptism, heaven opened up. Only Jesus and John could see it, but the Holy Spirit descended, and God audibly spoke. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. 
Many Jews of the time believed that God no longer spoke through the prophets, but that he spoke through a voice uh, from heaven. And, uh, the, you know, the speaking of the utterances were not considered, though, as important as prophecy. Now, in Jewish stories, the voice usually quotes scriptures, and most scholars believe that the voice here refers to a few scriptures. The first one being Psalm chap uh, chapter 2, verse 7. It says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This refers to the royal Messiah, the Son of God. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, uh, it, it talks about the suffering servant. It says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Now, others also believe that there's a third utterance, or, or, or a third reference made here. And, and that goes back to uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 2, about Abraham sacrificing his uh, beloved son. And uh, to read that, it says, Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him here there a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now I think a strong case could be made for all three references. Isaac was to be sacrificed on the same mountain that Jesus was actually crucified on. You know, Jesus came and uh, to bring salvation to the Gentiles, and uh he continues to still do that, right? You know, uh, I, I would be considered a Gentile and I'm saved because I trust in Jesus and I made that choice. And also to this day, we know that he's, uh, you know, he's still doing that. And, and we all know very well that he is the son of God, right? So all three declarations would fit right there. But, you know, going back and looking at the scripture, it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, when God speaks, many things happen. But when he was giving the, that truth out, I think the first one, Psalm 7, basically fits it the best, right? When he says, you are my beloved son, you are the one. Um, you know, our main focus, though, is that God the Father and God the Spirit and uh, both converged on God the man, Jesus, in that moment and began his ministry and mission to the world. You know, that's most important. Without Jesus, we have nothing again. Our faith is faithless. We have nothing. But the fact that Jesus came, the fact that he was baptized, the fact that God anointed him on that moment and got him going. It wasn't that he wasn't Jesus before that moment, and it wasn't that he was Jesus after that moment. He was always Jesus. But what we have here in Scripture is the recognition and the point in time where God said, this is the one. He declared it to uh, to the world through, through John. And, and, and through Scripture, through the Holy Spirit later on, when Mark would write this through the teaching of Peter, that this was the one. This was Jesus. This was the Messiah. This was Yeshua. This is the one we were waiting for. Now, <clears throat> Jesus' earthly ministry begins immediately after his baptism. Now, the Christian walk, as we know, is full of action, full of trials, temptations, joys, victories, and everything in between. But true conviction means that we take no breaks in the life we've chosen. As we look at Jesus' life, the same day he was baptized, he was driven out to be tempted. There was no cake party, no barbecue. Now it was time to be about the business, to be about the Father's business. Reading here in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. 
So temptation can be overcome in the example that Jesus has laid out for us. You know, it's firmly believed that demonic activity is higher in places that they are attracted to. Many believe that they were attracted to places like pagan temples, bathhouses, graveyards, and deserts. Now, we know that Satan is real. We know that he is a fallen angel, that he is powerful, but not all-powerful. We know that he tempted Eve in the garden and, and got her to fail. And he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, but he did not fail. He was, un, he, he was unsuccessful in that attempt, right? Um, now we know that the... Uh, we know that the wilderness in that area was a very desolate place. It was a very dry desert where the animals were out, uh, there were animals out there. Verse 13 tells us that there were wild beasts present. Now, <clears throat> if demonic activity is prevalent in deserts, what Mark is telling us is that Jesus was doing battle with Satan essentially on his own turf. Right? It's like a football team going into another city's stadium and, and playing with them there. Right? The odds are kind of stacked against them. Now, much like the believer today who is faced with temptation in the world, we do battle on the enemy's home field, right? We are of this world. Uh, we are in this world, but not of this world, right? So we are uh, residents of the kingdom of heaven, but right now we are temporarily on this earth. And so we are doing battle with this, uh, with the prince of the power of the air, right? The ruler of this world. And, and that is Satan. And we go through that each and every day. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He went into a place that was full of demonic activity. He took them on. Um, you know, Jesus faced the, uh, the same temptations that we face in the desert. He faced the lust, of the, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, those are the three tricks in the tr trickster's tool bag. That is what Satan throws at us each and every day all the time. If we look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. You know, what Jesus did for us in the desert were two different things. First, he showed us how to face temptation. You know, we have to remember that the wilderness is the desert. That he is basically... Uh, He's basically got nothing to eat or drink for 40 days, right? He was fasting. He basically just enough to keep himself alive is what he, uh, what he took in. You know, he was tired. He was hungry. He was lonely. He was probably delirious, and his body needed sustenance. We have to remember he was fully human and fully God. So in his fleshly body, he was suffering. He was having a hard time. In his spirit, I know he was sharp. 
But, you know, what, what happens to us? Our spirit can be sharp, but when our body's hurting, it, you know, we try and take care of it, right? Um, but what he showed us is that temptation is always geared towards the flesh and fleshly desires. What did Satan do? He said, you know, turn these rocks into bread. You know, go up and I'll give you these kingdoms. Uh, all this different stuff. Now, we cannot defeat them in the flesh. We cannot defeat Satan in the flesh. But we defeat him in the spirit. So what happens to us is whenever uh, uh, we look at what Jesus did, in all three temptations, Jesus turned his focus towards God and towards the Word of God. We must do the same. You know, when we realize and recognize that God's promises are greater than the indulgence uh, that's to come, we too will overcome the temptation. Remember, it is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. The sin is to give into the temptation. When we rely on God in those times, our faith grows because we put trust in Him and He delivers us. We learn to rely more deeply on Him. You know, when we strive for victory in the flesh, we often fail. And if we prevail, we sin in pride because we begin to think that we're greater than we re really are, but we're not. The second thing Jesus did was He identified us with us and showed us that uh, our need for Him, uh, what we need to succeed. I'm sorry. You know, he showed us that he knows what we're going through. He showed us how to get through it. And he also showed us that he himself went through it. Now, what separates Jesus from all the false gods and, uh, that Satan and the world has to have to throw at us is that D Jesus didn't just claim to be sinless, but that Jesus stared down sin and overcame it by the power of God. You know, he can sympathize with us in trials and temptation because he was not above going through them. Uh, as we go through them. If we look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help a, a, in time of need. You know, what then should we do with temp in temptation? We put our focus on God. We put our attention in the direction of grace and mercy, and Jesus did, uh, you know, just as Jesus did, and we will be delivered because He will show us that His kingdom is greater than the world's, and that we, when we partake in His way, we will partake in His kingdom. You know, if we are to live lives of repentance, then we must look in the direction of Jesus Christ, not in the direction of the world. It says here, and the angels ministered to Him. You know, wherever we are, and whatever we face. When we are in the will of God and focused in the direction of God, we always have his protection. You know, he uses many different means in protecting uh, uh, us against the enemy. And one is his angelic army. Though we do not see them, they are dispatched constantly in our defense. You know, I think it's important that we think about that also. Look at Jesus. He spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert fasting, fasting in prayer, you know, holding on to God looking to God for everything. He was tired. He was hungry. He was dehydrated. Uh, you know, his body started to hurt. I don't know if you've ever fasted for more than, you know, 48 hours. Man, your body starts to hurt. You start to you, you get the hunger pains. You're not thinking clearly. All this different stuff. And when Satan came to him and he offered him the greatest of things, what did Jesus do? You know, he stared him down and he said, no, my God is greater. My God is higher. You know, I don't know about you guys, but that's my God. That's the God I serve. 
the God that will not bow down to temptation, that will not break his vows, that will not change who he is in order to be served, uh, to, to be praised, and, and to satisfy himself. That's the servant king that we serve. You know, he did that for us. Think about that. He loves us so much, he went through that for us. We do serve a great God. Verse 14 says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So right now, Jesus' ministry is going to take center stage. You know, with John going to prison, Jesus becomes the central message of salvation. John was sent to take away from Jesus, uh, uh, was sent to not take away, but make a way for Jesus by preaching, uh, preaching the message of repentance. But Jesus was the one who would bring salvation and usher in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew, again, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Capernaum is a larger town than Nazareth. It's located about 20 miles north, from, uh, north of Nazareth. Now, this became his home base during his ministry. You know, the point, though, is that we see again in verse 14, Jesus came. And he arrived. And, and, tempta and uh, as the temptation period was over, John was in prison, and now Jesus' ministry was in full swing. Notice in Mark, the kingdom of God is used, and in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, They're both the same thing, though. We recognize that God is the ruler of the universe and all that's in it, and he rules from heaven. So they are one and the same. His message to all was and is to believe in the gospel, literally, literally the gospel or good news of God. Now, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, without repentance, we have no belief, truly, because every Every challenge in our lives requires a response. You know, the Christian walk, the challenge is to repent. The challenge is to change your way. The challenge is life change, right? And God will bring life change through us if we are willing participants. But if we do not repent, we do not change. You know, Jesus is not something that we just add to our lives. Jesus is something that comes in and takes over our lives. Right? It's not just slapping a bumper sticker on the back of our car and saying, oh, look, I'm saved. That's not the case. You know, a saved person bears fruit. Or they bear good fruit. They bear the fruit of, uh, of life change. And that's an important thing. Dr. J. Vernon McGee writes this, The message of Jesus is the same as the message of John the Baptist in Matthew's Gospel. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I believe that in our day, the message is really turned around. That is, we put faith before repentance. Now, when you turn to Jesus in faith, you are actually turning to him from something else. And that turning from something is repentance. 
if there was not that turning from something, then apparently there was not a real turning to Christ. It is true that if there is a real turning to Christ, there will be a manifestation of a change in the life showing that the believer is turning from something. So there is no contradiction at all. The important thing is for people to believe in the gospel. You know, faith always requires a response. We can always say we believe something, but if we do not act on those beliefs, then those beliefs are just words. Repentance is the action of faith. When we turn away from sin and turn to Christ, our faith, our, our faith is verified. Verse 16 says, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone to a, a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So Jesus calls his disciples. Now, there are three different calls reported in the Bible as it pertains to Jesus' disciples. The first is recorded in John chapter 1, verse 35 through 51. The second is here in Mark chapter 1, and the third is in Mark chapter 3. Now Luke tells us in chapter 5 that after this call, the disciples re would return to their fishing boats. Now it's important that we look at the scene that Mark paints for us here. Simon and Andrew were brothers. They, were own, uh, they owned their own boat, and James and John were fishermen as well, working with their father. Now some believe that they were business partners that worked together in the, in the fishing industry. Now, um, one thing that we need to notice about this is that they did have hired servants present. And that's pretty significant. We'll get to that. Now, in those days, uh, as well as today, if a person was to leave their job, even a hired servant, it would create a great difficulty for the person running the business. Right now, you're shorthanded. Now, there's more work to be done by lesser people. Now, it was even more difficult if a family member that was working for their father, in this case, uh, as in this case uh, here, was to leave. Right? Fishermen were neither poor nor rich, but somewhere in between. They were in the middle class, if that helps paint the picture. Now, the fact that they were able to employ hired servants means that they had a reasonably successful business. Now, the Sea of Galilee is essentially a large lake. Only the locals referred to it as a sea. So what we have is a, a grouping of boats, two or more, that uh, one was on the shore, one was out in the water, in the, in the Sea of Galilee, and we can call it a sea because we're relatives of Jesus now through adoption. The boats were at, uh, uh, you know, one was out, one was in as they were mending their nets. Um, and Jesus walks up, and, and they had met him before. We know that through, uh, through the Gospel of John's account. And he calls them, and they leave all that they had to go and follow him. Now, in that day, only the most radical of teachers was able to call his own disciples. The reason being, most people had a hard time following a teacher like Jesus, because he was not a stationary figure. You know, he moved around a lot, and that meant time away from home, family, wives, business, uh, crops, all the stuff that they had responsibilities over. Now, Galilee was not an area that was so big that they would be gone forever, though. And it actually afforded them the opportunity to be home pretty often in following Jesus. 
Now another thing uh, to note is that James and John left their father in pursuit of Jesus. In Jewish culture, the greatest of virtues was to honor your parents. And so leaving in leaving, we see that God's call is greater than all else in our lives. You know, if we look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, it says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy than, not worthy of me. You know, the principal call on our lives is to follow God above all else. There are times when we must make choices concerning our previous loyalties, our earthly bonds, and our possessions when it comes to, uh, to following Jesus. There should be nothing that holds us back. Our love for God must always be greater than our love for anything else. You know, one of the things that we must all take into account in our walks is that there will be situations where we may have to walk away from things that we are familiar with and things that we love. If we are to take up our cross, we must think about what that cross means, and that means to put to death our lives. You know, putting to death the old life and place of eternal life in Christ. Many people around us may have the best of intentions when it comes to their concern for our well-being and our safety, but I don't think most people really understand that we are participants in a radical way of life. And sometimes that radical life requires a radical faith. You know, Jesus said to them, he would make them fishers of men. You know, for fishermen, you know, I like to go fishing. We all kind of know our spots where we like to go in a certain lake or river. You know, these men were used to a routine style of life. They knew the tides. They knew the depths. They knew the currents of the area. Uh, you know, they fished. But what Jesus was calling them into was the unknown. Where fish were confined to schools in a lake, that was uh, that was mostly landlocked, almost completely. You know, men were found throughout the world. They were being called not to fill nets with fish, but to feed people. Uh, uh, to feed people, they were being called to feed people and fill heaven with souls. You know, each and every one of us has that same call in our lives, though. You know, it's how we respond to that call that sets us apart. You know, are we willing to go out into the world and call men to Christ? Or are we just con uh, content with sitting at home and doing the same old thing day and night? Though we may be saved, we may be smart, and we may be faithful, are we making an impact? You know, Simon, Andrew, James, and John all went out and followed Jesus. They would all be numbered among the twelve. They would see him heal the sick, cast out demons, teach with authority, feed 5,000 with just one kid's sack lunch. You know, they would see him arrested and nailed to a cross. They would see him mummified and put into a tomb. And a few days later, they would sup with him in his resurrected state. You know, though they were scared and reluctant at first, these men would eventually turn the world upside down. Some would say turn the world right side up in the name of Jesus. You know, faith grows in fellowship. And the more we know a person, the more we trust a person. The apostles trusted Jesus because they were with him constantly for three years. And he worked in their lives as well as the lives of others. You know, if we do the same through our study of the word, we too can have that same type of trust. The type of trust that will make us, uh, that will take us to the ends of the earth in search of souls destined for the halls of heaven. You know, let us not be hesitant in our calling, but have zeal for our pursuit. Jesus has called us to follow him and commissioned us to call others. And do, and that is what we must do. That is the great commission on our lives. That is the calling on our lives to be fishers of men. Just as he called, uh, you know, the, the disciples, the apostles to go and do that. We have to do that as well.
Father God, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the examples that you set for us, Lord. That we, through conviction, through trust, through prayer, through uh, uh, just a willingness to obey you, Lord, can overcome all the different challenges that, that, that come with our lives, Lord. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for coming for us, Lord, and dying on the cross in our place, Lord, that we might be saved. Father, we thank you. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.